This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Cartel. That's the nothing personal word of the day. How is it possible that I'm choosing a word on a random Monday cartel? Well, if you didn't pay attention this weekend, then you missed Steve Harvey with his second gaffe in four years hosting the Miss Universe pageant. So here's the scenario under which he really should not have said the word cartel, but he did. He was talking to Miss Columbia, who was doing a contest, whether it's outfit, swimsuit, doesn't matter what it was. And he was talking about the gaffe he made four years ago, and she, uh, he apologized. And Miss Columbia said, I forgive you. And Steve Harvey looked right in the camera and deadpanned, well, I don't think the cartels have forgiven me yet. And there was silence. And it's after a cartel joke fell flat in the monologue. The bottom line is Steve Harvey went for a joke. But when it comes to cartels in Colombia, that's no joke. Cartel is your word of the day on December 9th. Well, we finally, we get to talk actual news today. The winter meetings are taking place in San Diego, so everyone who wakes up early on the East Coast and has this dream that they're going to get news when they wake up, it's not exactly how it works because of the time difference. So it's really in the afternoon when the action starts. Because executives in MLB, you're staying up late, you're meeting in your room with teams, you're going out to the bar and seeing old friends who work for other teams with whom you used to work, you go to bed late, you don't wake up that early, then you got to speak to your owner who's not going to wake up that early. So this is about the time when big news happens, and we were not disappointed. Shockingly, breaking news, Steven Strasburg has signed the largest free agent deal in the history of baseball in both average annual value and number of years and total number of dollars, $245 million over seven years, beating David Price's deal, which was seven two seventeen. That's $35 million a year for the next seven years. Let's break it down because it, it, it's basically blowing my mind right now. The way that owners, and I've been guilty of this too, I've been Boris. I got Boris with Wei Yin Chen when we gave him 80 million over five. That's a verb, being Boris. So Boris has Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon, we'll get to him. But let's talk about what you do when you've got Cole and you've got Strasburg. Now, this is something that came up. I wanted to talk about this today anyway, because if you follow me on Twitter at David P. Sampson and you want to DM me a topic, it's there's a topic that we do every day on the show called So You Want to Talk to Sampson. 
and someone wanted me to talk about the reported offer this weekend to Garrett Cole of $245 million over seven years. Does that sound familiar? That's the exact deal that Strasburg just got, another Boris client. Now, let's get back to that. So I went through the DMs, and I respond to as many as I can. I thank you for listening to this pod and for downloading, subscribing. Five stars would be good, too. And I said to myself, I do want to talk about Cole because why would the Yankees ever leak that they offered 245 over seven? Of course they wouldn't. That gets leaked by the agent. That gets leaked by Scott Boris because that then gives ammunition to go to the Los Angeles Angels and say, listen, it's going to take more than 245 in order to get Cole. Why would Boris do that? Because then he gets to go to the Nationals and say Cole is going to get way more than 245. If you want Strasburg, the only way to get him is to do 245. Boris is a master puppeteer, and he's got the Lerner family, as well as Artie Moreno and any other number of owners, me included when I was a team president, right on the bottom of his puppeteer strings. And he's standing on the staircase in San Diego right now. The sun is shining. And he's putting his fingers together, thumb to forefinger and middle finger. And he's maneuvering strings. And guess what? Everybody is cooperating. Now the media and the fans are super happy because things are happening. Signings are happening. Well, if you're a fan of a team and you're celebrating now, I want you to. I want you to buy season tickets. I want you to watch games on TV. Celebrate the fact that your team is spending money. But are you going to be the same fan who complains when Strasburg is not good five years from now? And he's being paid $35 million not to perform? He's throwing 90-91 five years from now as a number four starter? And you're wondering why your owners are not signing the next up-and-coming free agent? Well, you can't have it both ways. So I agree with the Nationals choosing Strasburg over Rendon. I agree with the Nationals choosing Strasburg over Cole. I agree with the fact that they wanted to keep a one-two punch, having Scherzer and Strasburg back-to-back. Why? Because once you win that first ring, you're desperate to win the second one. And when you're desperate, you do things that sort of smell a little bit like desperation. And what owners do then is they put nose plugs on in order to delay the smell of desperation as far into the future as possible. And by deferring money to Strasburg, which they undoubtedly did, and by giving him the extra year, the seventh year when he's going to be 38, 39 years old, 94-year-old Ted Lerner, the owner of the, Na- of the Nationals, is saying, hey, I'll be a buck one when the Strasburg deal is over. I may not even be alive. Perfect for Scott Boris. An old dying owner is Scott Boris's sweet spot. Put that on the under of this show. So, Strasburg signed. What's Cole doing now? Cole is telling himself that I'm guaranteed to get eight or nine years. Remember, Cole is two years younger than Strasburg. So if you're the Yankees, you know you've got to go to eight or nine years. Are you comfortable doing that? You shouldn't be. But are you comfortable going another year and not getting an ace on your team? Are you comfortable with the fact that you've got some of the best position players in baseball? You've got the Bronx Bombers, but you've got nary a ring since 2009. Nary an appearance 
since 2009 in the World Series because you don't have the pitching. So this is a perfect storm for Garrett Cole. The Angels are desperate to win with Mike Trout. The Yankees are desperate to win with Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. They both have the money, and they both have owners who are willing to do it. So who is Cole going to choose? Well, we're going to find out soon enough because I believe Cole will sign during these winter meetings. The whole narrative has now changed. There's no reason to wait until February to sign these players because teams are hitting the ask earlier. Why in previous years were we sitting around until after New Year's, until after January, sometimes into February for these deals? Because Boris and other agents, including Dan Lozano with Manny Machado last year and Boris with Bryce Harper last year, they had an ask and they didn't move off the ask and they had no bid to match the ask. It's very simple in your life when you're buying a car or buying a house. There's an asking price for the house. The house is the free agent. There's a bid on the house. You're making the bid on a house. It's teams making a bid on the free agent. When a bid and the ask match, you got yourself a deal. When the bid and the ask don't match, it's a game of chicken. Who's going to blink? And if teams don't blink, Boris will wait you out. And then they blink. What's happening now is teams are blinking earlier than ever. It is now. It's exciting for baseball. I agree. It helps the sales cycle. I agree. But let's talk about the long-term impact of these deals. Will there be buyer's remorse? Not today there won't be. But you can bet your bippy that six years from now, Steven Strasburg will not be a $35 million pitcher. Seven years from now, Garrett Cole will not be leading the league in strikeouts. I guarantee it. It's not a wait to see. I've waited. I've seen. There is no pitcher without the use of steroids who gets better and better as they age. There's going to be more to talk about. But I, I, I got to go to football because some stuff happened in football yesterday that I just can't for the life of me understand. Baker Mayfield has had a lot of problems this season, as you know. Uh, the team stinks. They were supposed to be good. They've had issues with their coach. They had that big brawl with Miles Garrett. But yesterday something happened that actually bothered me more. They played a game, which is fine. They play every Sunday. But then Baker Mayfield met the media. That's still fine. They do that every Sunday. But let's listen to what Baker Mayfield said to the media. I'd say that, you know, it wasn't handled right. Uh, he's not able to run as well as he should be able to, uh, as well as he knows, and that's frustrating for him. Uh, it's, you can sense that's some of his frustration, where that comes from. So uh, it wasn't handled the right way in our training room. So, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, it is what it is. And so his not 100% is still good enough for us. Um, I think he could have been addressed earlier on. Can we be clear? Baker Mayfield was talking about Odell Beckham. It came out yesterday that Odell Beckham has a sports hernia. And the sports hernia was diagnosed during spring, during spring training. That's a funny baseball joke from an old baseball executive during NFL training camp. And it was not addressed. And Odell Beckham has had a mediocre season. We've predicted on nothing personal that Odell Beckham will not end up on the Browns next year. That was my wait to see. 
last week. But now, Baker Mayfield takes the microphone and calls out his training staff, the trainers, saying they didn't handle the Odell Beckham Jr. injury properly. I want to break that down. It is unheard of for a player to call out his training staff. It is unheard. Wait. No, it's not. I've lived through that. What player did I have who called out his training staff? What crappy player who was not respected by anyone took a mic and called out his training? Oh, yeah. Heath Bell. Yes, you did, Heath. Every time you blew a save in 2012, you blamed the training staff. Really? They weren't getting you ready enough, so you called them out? Do you think that makes the training staff want to take care of you when you go in to get your arm rubbed? Well, Baker, you're now calling out the training staff, which should never happen. I'm not saying you're like Heath Bell. I don't know you. What I do know is you're acting a lot like him. And if you're telling me that you think it was a wise idea to stand up there in front of microphones, that you were backing up your teammate, Odell Beckham, Odell, Odell Beckham Jr., that's how you know we're live on this podcast, because you're not going to get that edited out. If I said Odell that's what it is. Odell Beckham, you're trying to cover for his ineffectiveness by saying that it was the training staff that was the big problem. Here's the mistake you made. You then have to go into the training room. You have to meet with your GM and coach who immediately took you to the woodshed. How do I know? Because Baker Mayfield walked back the entire thing on Twitter. It was moments later when he got spoken to and it was pointed out, this is not how you operate. This doesn't make you a professional. You never call out your training staff and blame them for mistreating a player. You do that in private if you do it at all. So Baker Mayfield walked it back. But what exactly is going on right now in sports? Baker Mayfield was one of only three examples this weekend of players calling out training staff, coaching staff, teammates. I don't understand what world it is that we live in where these athletes today think it's okay. Let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. They have a cornerback who, by my estimation, is average. He's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. He criticized his own coaching staff for the play calling after they lost to the Falcons. He actually specifically called out defensive plays that were called by his defensive coordinator and how they didn't work and they were incorrect to be called. Listen, Dante Jackson, get a damn clipboard and become a coach. If you think that you're going to go 2020 hindsight and then publicly call out your coaching staff and think that that's okay, you know what he should be doing? Can you do that when you call a player and make him run wind sprints in physical education in high school or on your high school team when you do something against a coach? You're running until you vomit. I guess you can't do that these days because then the coaches would get fired in high school for putting the student athletes in high school in jeopardy. I was never in jeopardy when I ran track. I was supposed to run until I got sick, and that's what we did. We ran, we got sick, and then we knew our, our training was over for that day. Well, if I'm Dante Jackson's coach, I'm having him run 100-yard sprints until he drops. I mean drops, straight up, right to the training room 
where you better not call out the training staff because then you're not going to get taken care of. Dante Jackson, tell your teammates to make a play. Tell them not to complain. And you should never put your name ever to any complaint about the way your coaches run your team. It's a bad look. That wasn't the only example. We talked about Mayfield. Now we've talked Dante Jackson. Let's go to Cleveland. And we're switching sports. The Cleveland Cavaliers have struggled. We know it. LeBron James left Cleveland, went to Miami, won some titles. Came back to Cleveland, won a title, left Cleveland. He's now on the Lakers trying to win another title for the Lakers. But what he left behind in Cleveland was a team that puts the M in mediocre and the C in crappy. And they got themselves a new coach. And there's been a lot of complaining about this coach. And you know that John Beeline, we've talked about him, he was successful. He was a successful, successful college coach. He got brought in. The thought by the owner, Dan Gilbert, was that bringing in a, a college coach would actually be helpful for a young team like the Cavaliers. But the players went, and we talked about a nothing personal previous episodes, there are players on the team who went public anonymously, which is even wimpier than going public with your name behind it both of which are horrible things to do. But when public saying that, you know, this coach and what he's doing, it's not helpful to our team. So Tristan Thompson, the veteran that he is, you know Tristan Thompson. He's the one who I believe is either married to or engaged or the father of a kid with one of the Kardashians. I can't remember who. I've got Bomber here as the producer. Coke is still away for one more day. Marone's away. I got Bomber here, thankfully who's not speaking into my ear, because if he were, he'd be telling me exactly the relationship between Tristan Thompson and Wish Kardashian. I got it, Chloe. There's something with Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson. They were together, then they're not together. He was famous for like two seconds as a Kardashian. He was like the Chris Humphreys of last year. Google it if you don't remember Chris Humphreys and his short-lived marriage to another Kardashian named Kim. So Tristan Thompson actually stood up as a veteran, and like a man, he called out his teammates. And I believe he said they were being chatty patties. I thought the expression was chatty Cathy's, but chatty patties rhymes, and maybe that's the expression. But he publicly said that the Cavaliers players, his own teammates, should start chatting less and playing more. Hey, Tristan, I love where your head's at. I completely agree with you. That said, it's way better for you to do that to your teammates inside the locker room. Stand up and have a meeting. Have a players-only meeting where you say to them, listen, it's unacceptable what you did to our coach. He's our coach. But that's not what happened. These young players today, they believe they have this sense of entitlement. They believe when they're drafted after one year in college or they're making all this money with millions of dollars at the age of 20 or 21, for whatever reason, they think because they make more money than their coach, many times more money than their GM, many times more money than the owner until the owner sells the team, that somehow they have the right to speak up. But that is not how rings are won. When you've got a clubhouse where there is that sort of division, you're guaranteed to lose. Tristan Thompson knows it because he's lost and he's won. <clears throat> Baker Mayfield doesn't know it because he's only lost. Dante Jackson, I don't think he's good enough to either be a winner or a loser. What I'm doing as the president of a team is I'm immediately meeting with my team today. 
And I am talking about these things that have taken place. And I'm talking about the fact that all of our dirty laundry, we must wash it inside our own room. Because our goal here is to win because when we win, you get paid. When we win, I get paid. When we win, it is better for everyone. And to do it, we have to be pulling the same direction. Do you think as the president of a team, I'm going to fire a coach because you come out against your coach? Or I'm going to fire a defensive coordinator because you come out that you didn't like the way a play is called? Or you think I'm going to fire a trainer because you think that we didn't take care of Odell Beckham the proper way? Well, as president of the team, I know exactly what we were doing. You think that we're just up in our ivory tower not paying attention? We are calculating and calculating every single decision we make. If we don't have Odell Beckham have surgery the way we had Kareem Hunt have the surgery for the same injury, there's a reason we didn't do it. If we called a certain blitz for the Panthers game against the Falcons, there's a reason. If as the coach of the Cavaliers, I'm doing things a certain way, it's because I want and I think that that is the best way for us to succeed as a team. And I'm going to meet with my team, even if I'm not involved as one of these three teams, because I don't want this to happen. And as it turns out, players today, they're doing it more and more. I think they should be doing it less and less. We had a very interesting weekend as far as the Baseball Hall of Fame. Marvin Miller got inducted, elected, appointed. I never know which exactly verb. We always use elected. But who's electing? I want to talk about Marvin Miller. I want to talk about Ted Simmons. And I want to talk about the Veterans Committee who elected them to the Hall of Fame. It's a fascinating story. So... As you know, players, when they retire, you have to be retired five years, and then you get put on the Hall of Fame ballot if you meet a minimum criteria and the writers decide to put you on a ballot. Then to stay on the ballot, you have to get 5% of the vote, meaning if there are 100 writers voting for the Hall of Fame, if your name does not appear on five ballots to be inducted into the Hall of Fame that year, the next year you're off the ballot. And if you get more than 5%, but fewer than 75% of the votes, then you get to live another year and reappear on the ballot the next year. If after 10 years you don't have 75% of the vote, you're off the player's ballot and you're done. You can't make it to the Hall of Fame unless you're voted in by something called the Veterans Committee. The Veterans Committee used to be a bunch of people who randomly would decide People, executives, announcers, players, anyone associated with the game who had, was not already in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown with a plaque, they would get together and decide, hey, who should we put into the Hall of Fame? But that's changed over time. And now the Veterans Committee is a global macroeconomic term for a bunch of different committees, name different things, who vote in different years for different types of players or executives. So the exact thing that took place this weekend was something called the Modern Baseball Era Committee. The Modern Baseball Era Committee, I guess you could call it a subset of the Veterans Committee, but it's not. It's sort of the old Veterans Committee. And it's once every three years, maybe, that this group gets together and they look at candidates who impacted the modern game of baseball as defined as from 1970 to 1987. That puts the R in random, I grant you, 
because to me, why 70 to 87 and not 60 to 97? But be that as it may, it is a group of 16 individuals who vote on a group of other individuals on a ballot who impacted the game from 1970 to 1987. So who are the type of people who are voting on this? Well, I just so happen to have their names for you. Ever heard of George Brett, Rod Carew, Dennis Eckersley, Eddie Murray? What about Ozzie Smith or Robin Yount? Yes, those are players who are voting on other players to be in the Hall of Fame. And those are Hall of Famers. But they're not alone on the committee. Then there's baseball executives. And you don't have to be current. You can be fired. I guess that makes me a candidate to be on the modern era voting Hall of Fame committee. I'm available. Sandy Alderson, no longer with the Mets. He voted. David Glass, no longer owner of the Kansas City Royals. He voted. Dave Dombrowski, the erstwhile president of baseball operations for the Red Sox. He voted. Doug Melvin used to be a GM. He voted. And Terry Ryan, who used to run the Twins. These are old-time executives who were around during this modern era, for the most part. So they get a list of people they can vote on. Don Mattingly was on that list. Tommy John. If you've never heard of Tommy John, and I bet half the people at CBS Sports HQ have not, Tommy John is not just a surgery. Tommy John is actually a pitcher, and he's the first one to have had the surgery. So it's called Tommy John surgery. The actual ligament is the ulnar collateral ligament in your elbow. Do you know how many fans I've had when I was running a team would tell me, hey, do you know that pitcher tore his Tommy John ligament? No. It's called an ulnar collateral ligament. Anyway, Tommy John was eligible. So was Ted Simmons. Those of you in Milwaukee listening, I know we've got a bunch of you and St. Louis too. You may remember Ted Simmons won the MVP in the World Series in 1982. That's the modern era. He won the World Series. He actually has a war of over 50. The only catcher not in the Hall of Fame with a war of over 50, which to me doesn't mean one thing. I don't care about war when it comes to Hall of Fame. I care about the smell test. I smell. Does that player smell like a Hall of Famer? Ted Simmons to me does not. He was a great catcher, great player, not a Hall of Famer. As a matter of fact, when he went on the ballot five years after retiring, Ted Simmons did not get the 5% necessary to even make it on the ballot for his second year making it the first time in history that anyone's in the Hall of Fame who only lasted one year on the ballot and then got taken off. The second person in the Hall of Fame is Marvin Miller. Who's Marvin Miller, you're asking? Marvin Miller is the person who Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and any John Carlos Stanton, any of the other hugely wealthy players needs to thank Marvin Miller is the father of free agency. You see, Marvin Miller was the head of the players' union back before there was free agency, back before there was salary arbitration. And under Marvin Miller's watch, free agency and salary arbitration started. He is one of the single most influential people in the history of this business of baseball. Therefore, He is one of the single most influential people 
in the history of this sport of baseball. But he never made it to the Hall of Fame. He was a candidate year in and year out, turned away, turned down every time. It became so obvious that he was being held out of the Hall of Fame, sort of like the way Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and A-Rod and all those guys are being held out because of steroids, or Pete Rose is being held out because of gambling. Marvin Miller was held out because owners didn't like him, because they made it very clear that Marvin Miller would never make it to the Hall of Fame because of what he did to the game. And what he did to the game has made it so players started to get paid way too much. But I think that's penny-ante petty, and I think it's wrong. The Hall of Fame needs Marvin Miller in it because the Hall of Fame is about the story of baseball. I don't want Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame, nor Roger Clemens, nor A-Rod, but I do want something in the Hall of Fame about steroids. I don't want Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, but I want something in the Hall of Fame about gambling. I want an explanation of the Chicago Black Sox scandal in the Hall of Fame because that is where people go to learn about the history of the business and the sport of baseball. Marvin Miller needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He needs to have a plaque so people can talk about him and learn and understand what he did to the game. Why is it that it happened this year that he finally got the 75%? Well, do you know that he died at 92 five or seven years ago? Bomber, this is when you tell me in my ear when he died. He's fervishly, feverishly Googling it right now. But before he died, he actually sent a letter to the Hall of Fame saying, I don't want to be considered. I do not want to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame because I know that I've been kept out by owners acting in a nefarious way. So he died in 2012 and he hadn't been elected or inducted. And his family has come out and said, We are not going to appear in Cooperstown this July. We are not supportive of our dad and our grandpa being in the Hall of Fame like this at this time because he never wanted it. So imagine what's going to happen in July. You're going to have Derek Jeter, who's going to make it into the Hall of Fame. That'll get announced in January in the new year. And then you will have someone who will have to read the plaque of Marvin Miller. Who are they going to choose? Will it be an owner? I promise you not. Will it be Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball? I promise you not. Someone will give a speech on behalf of Marvin Miller, and it will be someone from the union. It will be a player who benefited from free agency or the reserve clause or arbitration. And it will be people celebrating the job that Marvin Miller did and the path that he forged in order to make it so the players could earn the kind of money. But there will be a small thundercloud over Cooperstown that day, knowing that it should have been an exhibit and not an induction if you really wanted to honor the memory of Marvin Miller. Well, I'm going to review, every day I get to review a movie, and it. Uh, I love watching movies, and this is the best time of year right now. But today it's not a movie. Today is something that took place. It was, it was like a holiday for me. The nominations for the Golden Globes, it's my third favorite day. Let me give you the order. I prefer Oscar Sunday is number one. This is in movies. The day the Academy Award nominations come out is number two. The day of the Golden Globes is number three. And the day of the Golden Globe nominations is number four. So today were the Golden Globe nominations. Now, the thing about the Golden Globes, 
This is literally, I don't know if you know this, when you watch the Golden Globes, it's sort of a fun thing. It's happening January 5th, about 8 o'clock. It'll be on TV. It's tables. It's not in an auditorium. Drinks are served. And what's better than seeing celebrities who are buzzed, who are talking and maybe saying things during their acceptance speeches that they otherwise wouldn't say because they've got liquid courage? Well, it turns out that the Golden Globes are really a dinner put on by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, that's who everyone thanks when they win the Golden Globe. That's actually 87 people from different countries around the world. 87 people. And the fact of the matter is that these 87 people care about who watches the Golden Globes. They care about which celebrities attend the Golden Globes. And it's not always about the quality of the movie. So they tend to spread the wealth way more than the Academy does. And that's exactly what happened today. And it's not just movies, it's movies and TV. So which two movies led with only four nominations each? Marriage Story and The Irishman. We've reviewed The Irishman on Nothing Personal. We will review Marriage Story tomorrow. Because I'm going to watch it today. But right now, those two movies are in the lead with acting performances that also were nominated. You've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But what was the biggest surprise? It was all the people in the CBS HQ studio who lived their life around Game of Thrones. Where literally, the last season to them, it was like a religious experience. Well, guess what? They got snubbed in the best drama category. They ended up getting one nomination only. And he's a first-time nominee as an actor. Even Peter Dinklage did not get nominated this year because season eight of Game of Thrones, from what I've heard, was mediocre at best. But who else got snubbed? And who were the other surprises? Well, one thing that I love to see is I wanted to see the Kaminsky method. I wanted to see them nominated, and they were. But where was Schitt's Creek? How is it possible that you don't nominate Schitt's Creek as one of the final five best comedies? It's a crime. I guess that the Levy, Eugene Levy and his son Dan, did not suck up to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association enough. Because as we know, that's what's required to get nominated. They get some of them right, some of them wrong. But a proper level of genuflecting is always in good spirits. Uh, big news today out of Russia. We don't normally talk about Russia on the show. But why today? Because this is actually, to me, it's a scandal probably bigger than any steroid scandal in baseball. Uh, bigger than any gambling scandal that's ever happened. Bigger than any drug scandal in basketball or anywhere else. Uh, the doping scandal in Russia, some are calling the biggest scandal in the history of sports. I actually happen to agree with that. And why do I? Here's the backstory to it. There was a cover-up the size of the world. And here's what happened. There was a laboratory in Russia. And in this laboratory, they were basically perfecting doping. And they were making it so all of the Russian-born athletes who were going to compete in the Olympics or the World Cup or any of the other international competitions were completely doped up and therefore would win gold medals. Think about it back in the time of the Cold War. If you weren't alive for the Cold War, the Olympics were a really big deal. And we would keep track, America versus the USSR, and who would win what the medal count was. 
Now we really don't pay attention to that. We want ourselves to win more medals, but you're not really as focused as you were when it was the Cold War. So Russia still is in that period. They want to show the U.S. and the rest of the world that they've got the best athletes. So they engineered through laboratories the ability to dope and to cover that doping, except they got caught. They got caught by one of the great whistleblowers in the history of whistleblowing. One of the heads, the guy who ran the laboratory, actually came out and said, listen, we're doping our athletes. There's a big documentary about this. You should watch it. But the real story is what happened today. Russia was banned for four years from any international competition. Let's make sure we're very clear what that means. That means that Russia cannot compete in the 2020 Olympics. It means that Russia is not a part of the World Cup soccer. It means they're not part of any international competition, anything, for four years. There's never been a punishment like this. But is it every Russian athlete, even ones who weren't doping, did they pay the price? Well, as it happens in many cases, the cover-up can be worse than the crime. Once the whistleblower blew his whistle, there was an investigation. That investigation led to Russia agreeing to open up its books because they denied any doping. Russia said, you want to come look at our tests? You want to look at our testing sites? No problem. But guess what Russia did? They destroyed documents. They destroyed tests. They destroyed samples. They completely manipulated the entire system. They rigged it so that it would look as though nothing had been going on. But they couldn't even do that right. By the way, if nothing personal goes blank now, then it means that actually Russia is interfering with my podcast and the show. I don't think it will. I think we're still on. Bomber, are you there? Bom okay, Bomber's still there. We're still good. But somehow, Russia manipulated the entire system in order to try to cover up all the doping they had done, except they didn't cover it up well enough. And then the cover-up caused this unprecedented punishment. But it's not just the guilty who are suffering. It's the, the, some of the innocent athletes. Some of the innocent Russian athletes do not have the ability to compete under their own home flag because of this four-year ban. There'll be an appeal, but they're going to lose. It's a big story. What's the moral? Don't dope. And if you're going to dope and you get caught, just pay the penalty but don't then cover up the doping by thinking that we were all dopes, that everyone in the IOC was a dope and that we wouldn't be smart enough to find out what happened. Because guess what? We did find out. Pick of the day has been, uh, has been I, you know, I had an argument with someone this weekend. Uh, we did a parlay on Friday. And the Nets did their part. The Heat only won by nine. And on the show, we had the Heat at nine and a half. So you would say that that is not a winning parlay. Except I saw the Heat at nine. So does that mean when you tie and push one side and you win the other side of the parlay, are you a loser? Is there any book anywhere that may have had it at eight and a half? Is my streak over? Let's pretend that if you push a side of a parlay and win another, that you still win money, which I believe is exactly what happens. That means my streak's alive. So I'm saying the Heat were favored by nine on Friday and that they pushed and the Nets covered. Streak on. What are we watching tonight? Well, you know very well we're watching Monday Night Football. 
And the reason why we're watching is not only are you betting on the game, which you are, but you're also going to watch to see, can Eli Manning actually make it through 60 minutes of football without completely falling apart? Is there a chance that the Eagles can take control of the NFC least division? Is there a chance the Eagles, who have won seven in a row over the Giants on Monday Night Football, can possibly blow out the Giants, who are starting Eli Manning, who wasn't good enough, and they had to do Daniel Jones, who then lost eight in a row and thankfully got hurt, so now Manning can play again? Well, I think this is a huge game for Eli Manning and his ego. I think he remembers this game more than many of the games he's had in his career. He has pride. He's a Hall of Famer. He wants to win this game. But I'm not telling you to take the money line because the Giants offensive line is so porous that I'm not sure the best quarterback in the world could have a good game for the Giants. But what I will say is the Eagles, who definitely want to win and catch the Cowboys, and believe me, I don't like the Eagles as a Giants fan, but I am rooting so hard for the Giants tonight because they're my pick. I love the Giants. Don't go money line, though. Take the nine and a half. Take the points, look for a close game, and let's keep that streak alive. Today is an uh, anniversary day, and I just want to spend a few minutes telling you what it is. Today's December 9th, 2019. 20 years ago today was my first day in Major League Baseball. December 9th, 1999 is when I became the executive vice president of the Montreal Expos when Jeffrey Loria purchased the Expos from a man named Claude Brochu. And that day is when people thought the Expos could be saved. And I'll never forget my first day in baseball. It's the first time I'd ever worn something in my ear and done an interview in French. My first ever interview on camera was talking into a camera, listening to someone ask me questions in French. While I was answering in French, basically I was not fluent, but I spoke well enough from my newspaper business in Paris, and I was able to converse in French. But imagine doing an interview on your first day. I was 31 years old. I was schwitzing uncontrollably, trying to figure out how to look in a camera, translate from French to English, then answer it in English in my head, and then speak French out in the open to the world watching. And it turns out that I didn't say something I could have said on that day, and I'm going to say it now. On December 9th, 1999, you all thought the Expos had a chance to be saved. I was hopeful that was possible. I was hopeful that there could be a new ballpark. But the Expos were doomed in Montreal from the moment we took over. Because we were the violin players on the Titanic. We didn't drive the Expos into the iceberg. We simply were the final people playing the violin as the ship went down. It's not that we didn't try, but at some point, enough of the ship is sinking that there's nothing you can do. Who would have thought that one of my first big meetings in Montreal, right after December 9th of 1999, was trying to get a TV deal in French on a channel called Réseau des Sports. If you're from Montreal or Quebec, you know who I'm talking about. And you know if you were in that meeting with me, Jerry, you know what you told me. You said that you would rather pay for curling than Major League Baseball. You remember saying it, and I knew that was the end of baseball in Montreal. 
And then we couldn't even get an English radio deal. We got a French radio deal, which was mediocre. We couldn't get an English radio deal. And we had to put a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Dave Van Horn, a legend in Montreal. He was one of the first people to do internet-only English radio. He carried around a box with him to do internet radio play-by-play to every game that season 2000 in Montreal. How could baseball have been saved? It should have been saved under Claude Brochure, Charles Bronfman, or Stephen Bronfman. There was nothing I could have done. When people ask me, should I have done something differently in Montreal? Well, as I think back to December 9th, 1999, 20 years ago, the only thing I could have done differently is not given one Montrealer even a kernel of hope that it could have worked. The minute there was no TV deal, I should have said, game over. The minute we couldn't get public financing for a ballpark, game over. The minute no revenue, no season ticket revenue, game over. But I kept trying because I thought maybe there was a chance that my violin could have made a difference. But it didn't. My wait to sees are, uh, are interesting. I had a wait to see that I'm going to lose, I, I'm afraid. I had a wait to see that two of Strasbourg, Cole, and Rendon will sign after the new year. I'm, I've already lost one. But the wait to see is about baseball, and it's about Andrew Friedman. Andrew Friedman is the president of baseball operations for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Andrew Friedman had, came over from the Tampa Bay Rays. He's now been in L.A. over five years. He just signed an extension. And he's brought his small market mentality to the large market payroll in Los Angeles. He has not signed a free agent to any contract over $55 million. Well, Andrew, my way to see is that this year you will finally sign a free agent for more than $55 million because you know very well that making it to the World Series, winning your division every year, none of it matters. You're measured by rings. And if you want your business to improve, you better win that ring. So Andrew Friedman, wait to see. You're signing a guy for more than $55 million. But don't be upset about it because, Andrew, you know better than anyone. We've talked about it. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.